1: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, and you will be happy to know that Frank Madden is here as well. It will not be just me on this episode. In fact, it'll be someone even more than Frank. We, we're going to have three people today. Everything's going to be crazy. But Frank, you're back. How are you? I missed you. Start talking. <laughs>
0: you were you you were so negative on yourself at the end of the podcast yesterday but um it felt like i I was talking
2: forever frank yeah well you had
0: you had Giannis. you had Giannis. uh you had er, you had you had the the interview interludes um in the in in between so yeah so that was good um yeah i mean I, i it was kind of funny i didn't tweet at all during the game i was watching it live and then kind of flipping back and forth um with the rose bowl as well and so I just had like no time to like tweet or, or do anything else. And then obviously I wasn't on the podcast, but I I did watch it all live. And, um, obviously it was, uh, you know,
2: Tell I, me I mean, I it was miss. a little bit, what did
0: I, miss? well, it, oh, I don't know if it was, I mean, I'll just give you my usual, like, as if it matters, my, my personal, uh, emotional reaction. But I, I mean, I, I was definitely nervous they were going to, they were going to, I mean, I, I thought early in the fourth quarter when see my, Simaj see however you pronounce his mm-hmm. first name, Kristen, yeah. You know, with Russell Westbrook on the bench was basically um, biting into the Bucks' lead. I thought, you know, they had that nice little spurt at the end of the third quarter. Giannis hits that, like, weirdly high-arcing little baseline shot near the end of the th- fourth, uh, third quarter.
2: Over the um,
0: top of the it, backboard, yeah. Yeah, it kind of felt like, okay, maybe the Bucks are, are going to get some, some um, separation here and you know then Giannis leaves early in the fourth and um you know give credit to the Thunder bench and I you know early in the season I was skeptical I was kind of like why do we think this they're going to lose Kevin Durant and then they're going to become a better defense I heard a number of people preseason suggest that they were going to be a top 10 defense and I think they were like slightly above average last year and um you know with the athletes they have the length they have you know guys like Roberson and um Jeremy Grant I mean they're not like they're atrocious offensive players, but, um, you know, add those guys to a guy like Adams who, who I love, um, and who yes, I absolutely. thought just destroyed Henson for much of the night. Um, uh, you know, you can kind of see why, why it works. I mean, Russell is, I mean, they, <laughs> there's definitely some plays where he's, he's taking, <laughs> taking off, uh, on defense, but, um, but yeah, I thought it was definitely a, a quality win, you know, t- against a team like that, that kind of knows what it is. You know, they know that they're all about Westbrook and, um, yeah, I mean not I don't know. I'm not going to say like we called it. Um we, we did talk a bit about how the Bucks do seem like a team that, that is geared to maybe taking away efficient nights from from a guy like Westbrook. Yeah. Um and and you I think focusing on Snell I think was great. I mean, you know, ironically a guy who what he didn't have he didn't have a single point last night no. yesterday. Right? Only shot <laughs> he, think, twice. Only took two shots. Um so he was attracting attention I think. He wasn't like wide open uh, at all. Um, but the effort he had on Westbrook, I think, was really impressive. And you know, you hold Westbrook to um, 30 points on 28 shots, and you know, 11 free throws uh, to as well. You know, too many free throws, but to need that many, um, you know, attempts to to get to those points, you, you certainly live with that. And and preventing him from even a double double is uh, not something many teams have done. So that was that was impressive. And um, you know, again, it was kind of funny. It was like Giannis was like 26, 10, and five, and it's kind of like, yeah it was good you know you kind of missed some stuff, someone someone
2: took a, a picture of the scoreboard last night and sent it to me and they're like oh look at Giannis dominating again because he led in all five categories and then i jokingly quote tweeted and said well you know he only had a steal and a block uh and <laughs> it's kind of that same thing like ah, yeah it was fine 26 10 but 5 1 and 1 like yeah okay by the way i could have sworn he blocked steven adams
0: like the first shot adams missed he challenged, and it like was one of those where a guy goes up for a layup, and then it just hits the backboard and comes right back to him. It didn't like he was trying to lay it in yeah. off the glass. I thought and I, I thought, thought
2: he might have got that one too, but I thought yeah. Henson was in the area as well, so maybe maybe they credited Henson on one. But yeah, I yeah. agree. When I saw the one block after the game, I thought. There could have been some funky scorekeeping, but he's at home, so you'd think the home scorekeepers would right. Would be and he also
0: had, I think he, I think his first steal was just like a, a an errant pass he picked off, and then I thought there was a play in maybe the third or fourth quarters where there was kind of a lob inside, and he jumped up and kind of like volleyball batted at it, and he was the main guy who batted it away, and then somebody else picked it up, and uh, you know I guess he didn't get a, a steal for that either. Yeah. So I'm I'm doing my best to make sure Giannis's stats are getting <laughs> you know fully getting all their full credit. So I don't Frank know.
2: Frank is Bucks. recording a series of corrections and we'll be sending them to the league yeah. office at the end of the well, year. Well, I'm still, I'm still, you know,
0: simmering with rage over the Pelican scorekeepers, not giving him an assist earlier this season when he fed Mirza of for like a wide open transition layup. Um, and I, I'm, I'm still just really pissed off after, after after the New Orleans scorekeepers padded Chris Paul's assist for, you know, all those years <laughs> and then they, they screw Giannis out of that obvious assist. Very disappointing. But anyway, that's the passion um, yeah. people ask
2: for here on lockdown bucks. So that's yeah, great, Frank. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So anyway, good, um good win. And um now, man, if they could pull out two wins in another home and home over a kind of a struggling Knicks team, um that would be, that would be huge especially being one game over 500 if you could get to three rather than stick at seven, stick at one or worst case scenario drop back below 500 um you know measuring stick game yet again
2: yeah i was gonna say at the end of the podcast last night part of me i almost said it but ultimately decided against it but part of me thought hey you get this game to go over 500 against the thunder you go pick up two against the knicks and then all of a sudden after that, if you do go back and forth, if you do go 500, you you stick above 500. And part of me wanted to be bold and say, hey, maybe we don't see the bucks go below 500 again this season. Maybe they build here. But that felt a little bit too crazy for me, so I backed off of it. And I think I'm still going to back off it, but I will tell you that it is in the back of my mind um, that that I am thinking about that and thinking that it's a it's a real possibility. And I think that speaks volumes to... To what this team has become, and to, to kind of what that win meant last night—that you beat a, a team that was what twenty-one and fourteen before the game, maybe twenty-one and 13, one of the two—I can't remember which—and um, you go out there and you you give them a loss—that uh, it, it speaks volumes to to that this Bucks team and what they've become.
0: Yeah, and you know I, I often quote the um, kind of full season projections that that are out there um based on kind of how things have gone so far. Uh and we've talked a lot about 538 number fire is another site that has, you know, that that similar type of projection system usually they're pretty close. Um and I looked at 538 today. I think they were the Bucks were at 44 projected wins, which believe it or not, would put them fourth in the East in terms of (laughs) remainder of season projections. So um, you know, and, and 80 some percent like to make the playoffs. So, you know, again, I mean, one injury, you know, an injury to Giannis throws everything out the window. Um, you never know how teams are going to, going to evolve, but, but certainly with a team like this, you hope that, um, they can continue to pick up wins and, and, gain confidence and, and get better as the season goes on. And they've been getting better. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, again, we think back to the season two years ago, um, surprising November. You wonder can they keep it up as the t- as the schedule gets more difficult in uh, December and the Bucks not only you know stayed afloat but but they got better um, as as December rolled on and, and I think that's certainly a, a great sign and um, I think I want to say on I thought Nick Monroe uh, from the Bucks tweeted out that f- the first All Star. Voting update was going to be on January fifth. I don't want to be using Nick's name in vain here and be wrong, but <laughs> um, but I think, <laughs> I think you're right. I think th- yeah. So, I think it's I think it's the fifth. So if we could get you know a couple of wins over the Knicks, especially with Friday's game on ESPN, um, I don't know. We've been spoiled with Giannis and Jabari and company coming up big when they've been on the national stage, um, but. Uh, Hey, you know, I guess I'm now. I'm just setting and I'm just setting us up for now. I'm just setting us up for Twitter to be even more like beside itself if the Bucks <laughs> lose either of these games. But so it goes.
2: Uh, just found the tweet. All star voting updates are on January fifth and twelfth. Voting closes at midnight Eastern on January sixteenth. So you were right on the fifth, but yeah, we are getting close to an update. And I guess I'm trying to th- figure out would it would be better if if uh, Giannis was an underdog at that point and. Buck, the Bucks really needed. Bucks fans really needed to have a, a solid push, but I think ultimately, no. I'd rather just have him be in the All Star <laughs> game and not, and maybe be the leading vote getter or something. But yeah, let's just have him. Let's just have him be uh, in the running to be an All Star All Star starter here um, when that first update comes.
0: I think. Um, I, I'd have to double check. Um, I think one of our. Uh... One of the, our, our Greek fans um, tweeted at me. I think it might have been Andrew Rogosis. Andrew, I know you may be—I may be mispronouncing your name, but uh, <laughs> I think he tweeted at me a German poll. It was a German NBA website, and they did a poll of fans for All Star voting, and Giannis was second behind LeBron. In the whole for all vote getters.
2: Oh wow. Um, and the,
0: you know, and you know, again, this is like one German website, right? It was like <laughs> LeBron had like four thousand some votes, and Giannis had twenty seven hundred or something like that. But you know, just kind of an interesting data point. Maybe there are just a lot of Greeks in I mean there are a lot of Greeks in Germany, but maybe maybe it's just like a random thing. I don't know, but um Hey, we need the rest of the world to come through and and help out the uh, the league's best international player. So um, so so maybe that's a little bellwether of uh, of of broader support. I know certainly my timeline is is biased, but um, I know I know I know <laughs> Bucks well. fans are I know Bucks fans are are definitely getting the word out. And um, I I said a week ago with with Adam Mitchell that I, I it was I thought it was only a forty percent chance that he starts and. I'm I, I'm thinking it's got to be a lot higher at this point. I've I've come around, so I don't I don't know I don't know if it's like eighty percent, but Ooh, I would have I'm, I would
2: have been at like seventy five percent last
0: year. Yeah, I'm, and I'm I think I'm like, at like
2: ninety now.
0: I don't I don't want to jinx anything, but I'm feeling like quietly like kind of giddy, waiting to see the results. So I'm I'm very hopeful. <laughs> so that would be I mean that would be incredible, right? For not only for the Bucks to get their first All Star, but to have them be voted in. Um, And granted, it's not just a fan vote, but but that would be pretty awesome for Giannis to become um, to be shown on that stage and and get that type of recognition. And and, hey, he's on the regional SI cover this week, which which is awesome and a great story from Lee Jenkins. So um, knock on wood, everything continues the way it has.
2: As I tweeted out today, I've never felt more inadequate than reading Lee Jenkins story about (laughs) Giannis. Uh, Good God, that man can write. And the worst part is he's such a nice guy. When he was in Milwaukee a couple of weeks ago, I talked to him for a while and he's the nicest person. And he always like, thanks everyone that says like, Lee, you're writing God. And he's just like, Oh, thanks. I'm not, but thank you. Uh, like he's just the nicest dude and he's soul crushingly good as a writer. Like, Oh my God, he's so good. Uh, so yeah, if you haven't read the Giannis SI story by Lee Jenkins, go do it. Uh, He's it's it's great. Um, okay, we so here, here's the this is deal. going to be a two hour podcast. Here's the deal, guys. Uh, we recorded with our our friend, our Knicks friend, Jared Dubin, who who's done. I mean, he's all over the basketball internet. He's been everywhere. He's written everywhere. Um, but obviously, he's a long suffering Knicks fan, as we are long suffering Bucks fans. Uh, we got together and recorded a, a kind of preview. Obviously, the Bucks play the Knicks for the rest of the week, uh, both Wednesday and Friday, so we decided to get together and record a podcast. It went quite long, and Frank and I just talked before this and said, hey, alright, we gotta record a short intro for this, uh, we, we gotta make it quick and get into it, and as I'm looking at the clock here, it's about eh, 13 minutes long, so not exactly short and quick, uh, but that's fine. So we're gonna, we're gonna have this interview, um, hopefully you guys enjoy it uh jared's a really smart dude knows the knicks inside out and knows the league inside out um so and he, and he was more
0: he was more optimistic about the bucks than we were so uh before the season so yeah so you're you really
2: know. gonna want to listen then yeah um but yeah it, it was a great conversation i really enjoyed it i think frank really enjoyed it and yeah let's get into it
0: all right so jared the knicks Let's be honest, they've been all over the place early in the season, which which I don't I don't know if that's good or bad relative to, to early season expectations. Um, they kind of started well, despite, you know, uh, I guess among us nerds, we were noting the eh, negative point differential that was following them around for a while. And that's still kind of an issue. And, and they've had injuries of late. Um, but I don't know. I mean, tell us a little bit. Give us a little bit of background. I mean, what, what did you expect kind of coming into the season? And, you know, based on everything you've seen, where do you think this team ends up in, in mid-April?
1: it's it's interesting because i was talking a lot about the negative point differential early in season 2 and people were like why are you talking about this they're 14-11 they're borderline third in the east and you know that that's something that's going to happen with a fan base no matter who it is um, and and i was saying like listen this this team is outperforming their point differential and they're in the bottom 5 in the league in defense at some point this is going to turn and it has and people are acting as if the sky is falling when really now their, their record just more accurately, I think, reflects the quality of the team. Um, I did think at the start of the season, and I said this on several podcasts, that they would be a team that hovered around 500 for most of the year and would be sort of in the mix for one of those bottom playoff spots, but not definitely grab one. And I think that that's basically what they've been so far. You know, they were a couple games over. Now they're a couple games under. If they go on a nice little run, they'll be a couple games over again. And um, and that's sort of where where they are in terms of team quality, how they've played, and and I think how the roster shapes up too when you think about the strengths and weaknesses of it and, and what certain guys bring and what they don't bring. So I think that, that that's sort of where they'll be throughout the rest of the year and it'll be inconsistent with swings high and low. Like it's been throughout this early part of the year. I think that that's kind of what the team is. You know, one of the things I talked about before the year was that they were probably the highest variance team uh, in the East and maybe in the whole league, just based on how many either or bets that they made on guys in the off season like Rose and Noah and Jennings and even the guys that they brought uh, in as their bench pieces, And I said, you know, some of those will hit, some of those won't. And in the end, it'll all shake out to where they're a pretty average-ish team. And I think that that's mostly been true so far as well.
0: Uh, Obviously, Chris Epsporzingas has kind of made that jump to, I mean, maybe he's not a superstar yet, but I think everybody sees that he's, you know, maybe just a year away from that. He's... I mean, he's playing at, you know, what I would say is an all-star level, um, which is especially impressive given, you know, when I wa- whenever I've seen the Knicks, which hasn't been a whole lot, but um, again, I was watching the, the Hawks game um, from last week, and, you know, I'm sure Knicks fans were uh, thrilled with Derrick Rose, you know, ignoring uh, Porzingis on pick and rolls late in the game, and and uh, it seems like he's almost doing a lot of this in spite of, of maybe his teammates being, um, maybe having other priorities, but... Um, I mean, when you look at this roster, uh, obviously we take Porzingis for a given, and you know maybe you can talk a little bit about you know if if you see anything different in him than, than maybe the rest of us see. But um, I mean, where, what do you kind of see with the rest of this roster? There are a lot of guys that you know kind of decisions have to be made on. Um, you know, Derrick Rose obviously going to be a free agent. Carmelo has a no-trade clause, but you know, obviously that's kind of just been a seemingly a constant talking point. For, and the big picture, you know, how Carmelo fits into this team, kind of long term. Um, I mean, do you foresee them kind of rinsing and repeating, and and trying to keep some something like this group together next year? And I guess, do you think they should do something like that, or or should they go in a very different direction and maybe take a more of a rebuilding tack?
1: A lot of that, I think. Is going to depend on how the rest of the season goes. Um, you know, if they if this slide that they're on right now continues, then I, I think you'll see a very different team next year. If they wind up making the playoffs, then you could see a very similar team. Um, Carmelo, obviously, whether he is here for next year and the year after is entirely up to him. You know, he has a no trade clause. Um, if Phil Jackson ever asks him to waive it, he can just say no, or he can say yes and say like, okay, fine, I will allow you to move me and you can move me to one of these places, or he can say you can move me anywhere. So it's so much of their future in in roster building is in his hands, which is a strange sort of situation to be in, when I think most people would agree that at this point, he's not the best player on the team anymore based on the way that he's played this year, and based on the way Chris Epps played this year. Um, Chris Christophs I think, you know, he exceeded rookie expectations. I think he has met or exceeded sophomore expectations. Um, you know, he, he certainly exceeded them, I think, in November, uh, slid back a little bit with his shooting in December, and, and obviously now is uh, dealing with the Achilles injury a little bit. Uh, he said that he wants to play in this game against the Bucks, but Jeff Hornisack seemed to think that that's probably not going to happen. So we'll see. Um, it's it's interesting because their building plan this year was basically, we want to take a run in the next few years so that Kristaps can get playoff experience because we think that's more beneficial than building a team around him that will be ready when he's ready because we can just build another new team whenever that happens. That seemed to be the sort of rationale for a lot of their moves, you know, like bringing in um, an older Joakim Noah, who was likely to decline over the course of his contract and who plays the position that most people think Chris Epps should play either now or eventually. Um, that was a lot of the rationale behind bringing in uh, Derek Rose because they wanted to upgrade the point guard position so that they could, you know, it's been their worst position for, I don't know, 15 years. Like, so, so that they, they wanted to get somebody at that spot that could make things happen. And, um, and I think offensively, he certainly has attacked the basket. Well, especially when looking for his own offense and he has created openings because of that. He hasn't always found the open guys that he's created, but he has done it occasionally. Um, so I, I think that in a, in that sense, the bet that like you want that style of player has worked out. I don't know if they necessarily need to have that player be Derrick Rose. Um, you know, I have talked I talked about before the season how I think it, that something they might be doing. I, I still don't know whether it is what they're doing or not. Is sort of seeing how Jeff Hornacek's offense and how uh, Porzingis and Carmelo play with an attacking-style point guard, and they just wanted to get a guy who really fills that role and went out and got Rose because he's only under contract for a year, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, then you can say goodbye. And they would then go after um, somebody who can fill that role more long-term at the end of the season. I think that that is a better idea. I know there are there is a, a corner of Knicks fans that disagrees and thinks that, that Rose needs to stick around. Um, I don't know if I need to, to run through my whole Derrick Rose thing again, but I do think that style of player is definitely someone the Knicks need on the team, especially uh, to run pick-and-pops and, and pick-and-rolls with Chris Epps. Um, other guys in the team, like specific guys that should stay, like Courtney Lee, I think, has done exactly what they got him to do. He has been a low-usage, high-efficiency wing that has played good defense against multiple positions. Um, that's what Courtney Lee has been throughout his career, and that's what he's been for the Knicks. Uh, I think the other guy involved in the Rose trade, Justin Holliday, has been a really nice find for them. He's involved in like all of their best lineup combinations. Uh, he's shot well from three also, 37% on almost three attempts a game, uh, played good defense, uh, has done better work than I thought he could do off the dribble, so he's a guy that makes a lot of sense. Uh, to stick around uh, Hernan Gomez and Kuzminskis, I think have shown that they're situationally useful players at least and and Hernan Gomez, potentially more than that. Um, Noah has obviously been a disappointment, even though he's played better over the last four or five games or so. Um, you know, he is going to be around whether whether people want him to or not, because I don't think anybody's gonna trade for that contract. Um, you know, the other guys, I think, uh, Jennings, if he wants to be here as a backup point guard, I think he's done some good work. He's been exposed when he's had to play too many minutes, but, um, he, he works well, I think in that role off the bench, pushing the pace. And, uh, at the beginning of the season, he worked really well with Chris Apps because he was looking for him coming around that screen and roll. Um, lately that has not been quite as much the case, but, um, you know, th- there's a mix of, of skill sets, I think more so. Than specific players that uh, that makes sense uh, going forward, if that makes sense.
2: That was actually exactly what I was going to ask about. I, I think so often when we, when Frank and I talk about the Bucks, we end up talking about what you want to have around Giannis, and it's mm-hmm. does Jabari fit in? Does Chris Middleton fit in? Does John Henson fit in? Does Greg Monroe fit in? Do these people fit in? And I think in our minds we start to create a team that makes sense. So you're not going to have a ton of usage at point guard or center, and you're going to have those three wing guys doing a lot of it. So I I think in our heads, we always build kind of those ideal, those platonic versions of bucks players that would fit with Giannis. And I think with Chris there's a similar question to be asked with these unicorn type players. You have to ask, what are the things you need from the others on the roster? So when you think about Chris Stapps, what what do you think the Knicks need? What are some of those kind of, not necessarily specific players, but greater ideas that you need to get from the others on the roster?
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, I think that the big thing is a point guard that excels in the pick and roll going downhill, but also, like, I don't want to say eyes in the back of his head, because that's it's so much of a cliché, but that's the one pass that i think rose like definitively doesn't have in his arsenal like he's pretty good at seeing you know the dump off pass to the big man or even you know the, the 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 guy in the corner that he can see in his straight line vision as he's coming downhill it's the guy behind him that he can't spot and a lot of times that's christapps and i think you've seen fans note that you know, Rose will come around the screen and he'll sort of, he'll put up a mid-range jumper and Chris Stavs is standing behind him wide open. And it's like, why did he not throw that pass? And the answer is just because it's not something that necessarily occurs to him. Like that, that's not a pass that is in his arsenal. I, I think the Knicks need someone that has that specific pass uh, at, at the point guard spot, um, preferably someone that can defend at point guard too. Cause they haven't had that like, you know, we talk about like they haven't had a good point guard in 15 years. Like they haven't a, a, had a good defensive point guard since, like, legitimately since Charlie Ward. Like, that,
0: I was I was gonna make a Charlie was gonna make a Charlie Ward or Chris Childs joke, and I don't <laughs> even remember if they were good at defense. Um, but I just remember them being Knicks, and that I don't know. I don't know if the Knicks have <laughs> had many better point guards since those guys.
1: Yeah, they 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 mostly haven't. Like Marbury was the best point guard that they had since right. then but he didn't play any defense either. You know, like, so it's, it's, it's something they haven't had at that spot in a long time. Um, I think combo forwards would be better than sort of traditional uh, power forward, small forward type of guys because you need guys that can can sort of seamlessly um, guard multiple positions because you want Chris Apps to be near the rim for the most part. So your other guys have to be your switchy types. Um, so, so guys that can switch across three positions on, and the, at the wing spots, at the two, three, and four, uh, is really good. And, you know, because so much of the offense, in my opinion, should revolve around um, that, that Chris Stapps high pick and pop, pick and roll, whatever it is, you need guys that are shooters and cutters at those spots too, you know. It could be two shooters and a cutter, two cutters and a shooter, whatever it is. You know, you, you need guys that have those specific skills. And, you know, it would be nice, obviously, if you could have another guy that could create with the ball in his hands. Like, Chris Apps has done a much better job of that this year than he did last year, but it's still not necessarily his strength. Like, his strength is working out of that pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop and taking the catch-and-shoot jumper still. Um, so if you could have, you know a couple creators, a couple shooters, you know, it's, it's, you know, platonic ideal kind of things. Like it's, Oh, like who doesn't want creators and shooters around their best player, <laughs> but it's, it's a little bit of a different situation with Giannis who's going to have the ball in his hands so much and be that creator. Whereas Chris for the most part, I think he's going to need somebody else to be the primary creator, even though he has shown this year that he can create for himself more than we thought he could last year. So one of the Knicks' biggest issues throughout the season has been that they are uh, a very bad defense. That's been an issue basically for, like, 15 years, like a lot of other things. Um, the Bucks started off this season not as a bad defense, but as sort of an average-ish one. They were 14th in defensive efficiency through November. Now they're all the way up to 5th in the league. How have they managed to make that jump?
0: That's a great question. Um, the Bucks sort of philosophy on defense has been sort of this constant thing that we've debated a lot um, really ever since Jason Kidd showed up and and in their first season I mean they were depending on which which number you looked at which pace metric you used they were either like second or fourth in, in Kidd's first season so it kind of showed up and and even with Larry Sanders flaming out really early in that season um, Zaza Pachulia, Jared Dudley um, certainly young young Giannis was, was also a part of that Chris Middleton they um, kind of showed this ability to defend this you know fairly aggressive um scheme that requires a lot of recovery and um, definitely tends to try to swarm the ball and, and force turnovers. And and that first year they did that very well. And um, you know, it's a defense that does give up a lot of corner threes, um, a lot of threes in general. um, And basically just tries to make the trade off of taking away your first action and making you, you know, continue to pass and um, you know, trying to to put pressure on the ball and, and you know, wreak havoc with that. So I think the first year worked very well last year. It, worked horrifically and i think think teams figured it out somewhat i think losing jared dudley losing zaza you know very cerebral defenders even if they weren't sort of you know athletic guys um and you know putting in Greg Monroe and and jabari effectively for those guys um there was definitely you know that was definitely part of a a drop-off but um but i think just more broadly i mean there were just issues there last year that you know just it just didn't work and if that defense is not um you know, you know, that 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 on a string defense is is not all on a string. Uh, it tends to look really bad. And I know, Eric, you you wrote a lot of pieces early last season about okay, the Bucks are are kind of making the first and second um, you know adjustments and 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 rotations, but they weren't making the third or fourth. And I think that was sort of the theme for the whole season. It just never kind of got there. Um, maybe improved a little bit later in the season, but you know, just never kind of got to that level we saw in the year before. And they gave up a lot of threes, and they didn't shoot many threes themselves. So the three-point line was was the bitter enemy of the Milwaukee Bucks last year. But I think this year, I mean, Eric, I don't know. I mean, I think if I was going to sum up how how things have turned around, I I mean, I start with the guy that I think we start with on on both ends, and it's Giannis Adedikumbo and, and everything he can do, and um, his you know putting him in a scheme on the weak side off the ball. Where you're flooding the strong side with other guys and, and putting Giannis on an island with a couple guys in some ways. Um, you know, it's asking a lot of him, but he's one of the few players in the league who can, I think, make a system like this work.
2: Yeah, 100%. When, when I was thinking of my answer to this question, it was Giannis. <laughs> That's essentially why you've been able to make that jump. And uh, I think what you said. Frank was very accurate that last year they struggled with that third and fourth rotation and really putting all of those rotations together in a string, like you said. Um, but one thing I thought last year was a huge problem was so often you would see elite point guards maybe four seconds into the shot clock throw that skip pass to the opposite corner, and it was because the Bucks didn't have enough ball pressure they they weren't keeping they weren't making it hard on point guards. And this year, for all of the problems Delhi may have as a defender, um, and certainly his quickness isn't there and he gets blown by too often, and I think at times Malcolm Brogdon has struggled with that as well, those two put pressure on the ball, and that takes away that first skip pass. I think they've made some adjustments on the backside. But if we're talking about why it's improved in season, it's the last month of... Giannis kind of figuring out all of the things that he can do, and Mike Prado was going through some of the film from last night's game uh, today and was saying how he's kind of turned into this free safety, and it's it's interesting to see all the ways he could defend a play. Like you could see him on the backside on one possession, he'll come in, he'll tag the roll man coming on a pick and roll in the middle recover and then you'll try to throw a skip pass and he'll steal it the next time down he'll be a pass away jump the passing lane and he'll get a tip or he'll steal that or then all of a sudden the third time he sees the same action he'll sit all the way back and just protect the rim and to have a guy that does those three things and flows from one to the other in a somewhat unpredictable way is i mean (laughs) incredible um like like it's just unbelievable that he can do all those things and he does them comfortably and somehow the Bucks have created a scheme where all three of those things make sense or at least everyone else on the roster knows that hey Giannis is being enabled to do all these crazy things if we work hard on the rest of our rotations and I think as the season's gone along everyone's understood those things a little bit better i think they figured out how to hide jabari on ball a little bit better even though that <laughs> that makes no sense i understand uh but he, he he just can't make those other rotations so you put him on the best player and yeah you're hiding him on ball again makes no sense but uh i, I think they figured out how to do all those things better make those rotations and yeah, it just kind of all come together and I, and honestly it's probably the last month or so.
0: Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see sort of how it how you know if they can keep it up over a full season. Um, you know, it can be pretty taxing, it requires multiple efforts. Um their defensive rebounding has been mediocre this year which is way better than it has been the last couple of years um, when it was <laughs> horrific um which has certainly helped as well and i think that's helped um offset some of the uh, declines we've seen in their ability to force turnovers at least you know relative to to the league average um and you guys know, as, as eric said i think jabari's gotten better um and that's the weird synergy of jabari and giannis on defense giannis is the far better defender but he's actually more impactful when he's not just, you know, trying to lock guys down one-on-one, especially wings. Um, Jabari's surprisingly decent laterally, um, against wings. So, you know, when they've played, you know, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, um, you know, we've seen totally legitimate, decent efforts on the ball from, from Jabari, and, and that's allowed Giannis to, to do what he does off the ball. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, their their three-point defense has probably been unsustainably good uh, early in the season. They do have a high contest rate, but, you know, that's kind of one of those things that, that often um can can be a lot of luck involved as well so if that goes against them they give up a lot of attempts which is never a good sign um if the you know the the opponent accuracy goes up that you know that's that's where they can have trouble and certainly um you know a lot of times when they play poorly it's because you know the rotations aren't there and they're they're giving up a lot of open threes and teams suddenly make them
1: the uh the jabari on off ball point is an interesting one because Carmelo is sort of like that too he's extremely unaware I would say off the ball and a lot of times if you have him just guard a guy straight up it's it's more in his wheelhouse uh, especially if that guy is not quicker than him um, which you know at the three is something that doesn't happen that often anymore but that, that's why the Knicks are so bad on defense but uh, it's interesting also that you guys brought up the last two years because one of the the first things it was either the first or second thing that I wrote for for Vice was about the, the backtrack in the Bucks defense last year. And, you know, they, they regressed in a bunch of different areas last year. You know, turnovers, shooting defense, rebounding. Um, if you look at it this year, they're forcing even fewer turnovers. Their, their rebounding has gotten a little bit better. But most of the improvement has come in the shooting defense. And it's mostly just because, like, they force teams into uncomfortable spots on the floor because of that scramble. And I think they've sort of figured out how to do it around Giannis rather than including him in the scramble because he just does whatever he wants. And the other guys sort of recover is basically how I feel like it works. And it's, it's worked really well for them.
2: Yeah, I I 100% agree. And I, and I thought at the very start of the defense figuring it out, not last year, but the year before was, I would just see Giannis do things that that made no sense to me, that it would be just an insane over-rotation. It would be going for a steal where it didn't necessarily make sense, and he wasn't quite as good at it at that point. But I would watch and think in my head, what scheme is this? (laughs) Like, why on earth would someone do that? And then I I think I quickly figured out that, oh, there's – a Giannis set of rules and an everyone else set of rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and like you said, if everyone understands that and works with it, it, it can be great. But last year I, I think there was just so many missed rotations that if Giannis was doing whatever he wanted, no one else was going to cover up for it. And it, it was just going to be open layups as we open threes and good looks at all those things.
1: Yeah. You mentioned the free safety thing before and they couldn't be more different. Like, Body type wise, but it sort of reminds me of Tyron Matthew from the Cardinals uh, last year when he was, you know, arguably the best defensive player in football, mm-hmm. where they just let him do what he wanted and then, and then everybody else was like filling in their role.
2: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I've had a couple people when I've said the free safety, people always say, like, oh, but then that means like he's too far back. Like he's way more aggressive than that. So it's like, sure, just think of like the most aggressive free safety you've thought of. Like Matthew's a good one, Troy Palamalu, like dudes that cover a ton of ground and kind of have their own set of rules like that's that's Giannis on defense definitely
1: um so ne- the next question I have for you guys is um I-, I think it's fair to say that the Bucks have exceeded the public expectations for them so far this season like their preseason over under uh dropped from 39 and a half to 36 after Middleton's injury so I'm curious though what you guys expected from them coming into the year and if they've exceeded your personal expectations, being a little bit closer to the team,
2: um, I don't want to disclose that um, because Frank and I <laughs> both did a terrible job. Uh, no, uh, we don't.
0: We we we've been Bucks fans for decades, so we can't have nice things. That's sort of our general philosophy and our assumption base. So, you know, every time every time they play, they have a good season. Then the next year, it's usually a crushing disappointment. So we were we, we, yet again this year. We after a bad season last year, we were we were very wary and. <laughs> you know, the fans analytics said, ah, oh, this is like a, you know, maybe a mid-30s win team. So, so we were definitely uh, not, uh, not bulls on on this team, especially after the, the Middleton injury, because I think we were both, you know, big fans of, of what Middleton did. So, yeah, that it, it was a, it was just definitely a, a very, definitely has been a pleasant surprise so far. But, you know, again, I think, I think we thought Giannis was going to put up huge numbers, but I don't think we thought he was going to you know be second in rpm <laughs> to impact wins the way he has i mean he's in a lot of ways kind of carried them to um you know i mean they might be the one team in the east other than the raptors maybe that are actually that's actually kind of over over achieving actually you know, outpacing expectations a bit, and I think it starts with Giannis, right, Eric? I mean, you know, other guys have <laughs> yeah. played well, but but you know, Greg Monroe playing well, Jabari taking some steps. I don't know. I don't think that fully, you know, exp- it comes anywhere close to to explaining as much as as what Giannis has done.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I I think both of us <laughs> are were at least last year very much of the of the idea that. Middleton was the Bucks' best player last year. Maybe post-All-Star break, Giannis was better, but for the full season, Middleton was, in my mind, undoubtedly the Bucks' best player last year. And losing the best player from your team a couple weeks before the season starts, well... That, that's not going to go well for, for the team as a whole. Um, and yeah, both of us kind of thought, the, I don't even know, what did we say, 33 to 35, somewhere in that range, Frank? So yeah. Uh, yeah. we we weren't overly confident. And, and I think the big difference, like you said, Frank, is both of us, we, we did a ton of over-under pods here on lockdown, and it was kind of saying, well, yeah, they're going to put up big numbers. Giannis and Jabari are going to put up 20 points per game, and maybe Giannis is going to have 27-7 and seven or something like that. We thought those numbers would be there, but there's a big difference between numbers and winning basketball. And for Giannis to be, I don't know, the certainly a top 10 player, maybe a top five player in the league this season, uh no, we didn't think that. I I, I thought maybe an all-star appearance. Um, I, I felt pretty good about that, but not not the domination and the the huge impact that he's had on games. I, I didn't see that coming.
0: Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is, um, you know, early in the season they had this very home-heavy start to the season, so 14 of their first 21 were at home. So it was a little hard as well, even as they were kind of hovering around 500, they were a little over 500 at times. It was a little hard kind of figuring out, okay, well, you know, the last two years this team has been twenty three and eighteen at home. Big difference two years ago is that they were eighteen and twenty-three on the road versus ten and thirty-one last year on the road. So, you know, we we're kinda of waiting to see all right, you know, is it the young team that can't win away from home is that going to be another big problem this year? And you know, their their home record hasn't been terrific. They're eleven and seven, which is solid, but but not great. Um, but they've been, I guess, a, at least a little bit more respectable uh, on the road this year. And you know, certainly their fundamentals in terms of like point differential and and those things are, have kind of come around. And even as they have um, played more road games here over the last month, we thought December would be a big measuring stick month for them. Um, you know, that might be. We thought, okay, is this where the wheels come off a little bit? But they were 8-8 eight eight in December. They had a very solidly plus scoring margin and, um, you know, seemed to be carrying that over into the new year with, uh, uh, you know, certainly a, a good win against the Thunder on Monday.
1: Yeah, in, in full disclosure, I was higher on the Bucks than most people. I went on t- uh, Tim Bontemps from the Washington Post's podcast before the season to do over-unders for every team. And the Bucks were one of my overs. And I basically just said, like, I think Giannis is that good. I think Jabari takes a step. And then I think Jason Kidd just gets weird. Like, because that's sort of what they did a couple of years ago. Um, and obviously they were going to have to do that this year with basically no shooting anywhere else on the roster. And I feel like they have sort of gotten weird, but it's mostly just been, like, Giannis is freaking awesome. Um, I-, I actually wrote... It's, it's strange. The Bucks have been one of the teams I've written about the most. Um, I wrote about them early in the season where he was doing, you know, the incredible things that he's still doing, but they weren't really getting a lot from anybody else. And they were five and four, I think at the time or something like that, a couple weeks into the year uh, against a cupcake schedule. And I think they had a negative point differential. And I was like, look, this is pretty good right now, but they're going to start playing real teams And they need to start playing defense and they need to get something from somebody other than Giannis. And that's happened since then. And, and that's sort of, um, so they went from, I went from being high on them to being a little bit worried to the thing that I said needed to happen to make me not worried actually happening. So it's been, it's been a strange ride for me and the bucks.
0: (laughs) I think, I think the interesting thing though is, is, and we kind of see this a lot, sort of a, a lot of times when people look at the bucks, um, you know, we, we hear this idea of, of Jason Kidd doing weird stuff, but I, I don't know. I think Jason Kidd was weirder in his year in Brooklyn probably than he's ever been in Milwaukee. Um, and there's a lot of things about the way Kidd, you know, kind of does rotations and lineups and stuff like that that really is very not weird and, and, and non-experimental. I mean, he has certainly, you know, in Milwaukee not played small um much at all and a lot of that's because the bucks have always had way too many centers on the roster um but he also has has rarely played two big men together he he basically always plays one true center which he has three on the roster we saw a rare case uh, against the thunder on monday where he actually played john henson and greg monroe together um for a stretch against the thunders two big guys um but it, it is interesting and, and i think a lot of times too people kind of um You know, use Giannis' uniqueness as shorthand for the whole roster. And um, I think the roster does have some weirdness on it. I mean, Jabari is sort of a strange physical specimen in terms of, you know, being a guy who's, you know, kind of a bowling ball, but hyper explosive and athletic, even though he's, you know, doesn't look like he should be dunking all over guys necessarily. Um, But, you know, it's not like everybody on the team is a long athletic Uh, freak of nature, right? You've got Giannis, and then they do have um, a fair bit of size at at point, you know, with with Brogdon and Daly being relatively big for point guards. Um, But certainly, you know, I mean, Monroe's not, uh, you know, a long athletic dude at center. And, you know, Henson is, but he's kind of weak and, you know, not necessarily explosive or or particularly athletic. So it, it is a it's kind of a weird roster, but I don't know if they always Play that weird, even if you know the scheme is is maybe on the more aggressive side for a lot of things. I mean, you could, as as Eric was alluding to, it would probably be better if maybe some of the other guys on the roster didn't play as aggressively as, as as Giannis did. But the system sort of dictates that in terms of some of the spacing they do, and you know, again, we'll see how that kind of works out over the course of the season.
1: Yeah, I feel like it's more a weird group of guys than a team that plays weirdly. Like they're yeah. weird guys yep. in sort of conditional ways. Um, and then sort of around Giannis, who's just, again, a freak of nature, Um, which which leads to the next question. Um, You know, he is like, insert any superlative you want here because they're all accurate. Um, He's he's on track to become the first guy ever to average 26, 9, 4, 2, and 2, um, obviously since they started tracking blocks and steals. Um, So my question here is, is it more crazy at this point to answer the the age old who would you take to start a franchise for the next 10 years question by saying Giannis or by not saying Giannis
2: that's a good one um I, I think earlier this year um I, th- I think earlier in the season uh myself and one of my co-workers at ESPN Milwaukee Pratik Patel my good friend we were talking about Giannis's trade value, and I guess one of the ways to, for people to comprehend talking about Giannis is, well, who would you trade him for? And both of us were like, nobody. And ever everyone who who heard us say that kept thinking, well, what about what about LeBron? And what about this? And what about that? And it's like, yeah, but you you already have the contract extension locked up, and yeah, it, it's just tough to think who you'd rather value there, and. I think I'm probably in the camp of saying I, I think it'd be crazier to not say Giannis. Uh, I, I just can't imagine a player you'd you'd more willingly want to sign up for to to lead your franchise for the next ten years. It, it, I know there's other candidates out there, but I, I just don't see one that has a brighter future than Giannis. I,
0: I yeah, I mean we we kind of had this discussion, and uh, you know after the first month or so, we kind of looked around. And we were like. You know, because obviously, we like to think we're analytical people who aren't just homers or whatever. and we're kind of like, I, I don't think i actually would trade him for anthony
2: davis (laughs) you
0: know it's like and you know coming into the season obviously you you know carl anthony towns was the new anthony davis who was still the old anthony davis who's ridiculous you know and um you know even now some of these other guys some of the numbers they put up i mean i I think from the franchise starting perspective i think towns and davis have been kind of the two guys who you know who coming into the year I, i thought okay yeah objectively a gm would would take those guys over Giannis, but You know, I think the attachment to Giannis in Milwaukee, especially given his personality, um, and you know, we've seen him grow up. So, for Bucks fans to be asked that question, you know, even before uh, he kind of you know did this for now, going on two months at this crazy level. I mean, he did a lot of this stuff after the All Star break last year, which I think first really got people feeling like, oh my god, this dude, you know, is going to be an All Star and how, who knows how good he can be? Now he's sort of realizing it and and being a guy who can you know carry a team to respectability you know basically on his back. Um, so yeah, I don't. I, now it's like we we can we kind of think about this and we're just like, yeah, we're good and, and we don't really feel guilty about it, you know. And, I, and I, I I get why you know other franchises might may feel different, but I think you know the thing the, the big difference is that when you look at you know, I think especially on the defensive end, right? I mean, no, but nobody doubts what, um, especially Anthony Davis does offensively, and you know, single-handedly can just go and no matter who he's playing with, can just lead a team. But you know, even even when he had good good players around him, he wasn't necessarily a you know defensive player of the year caliber guy. Like I think people sort of extrapolated that he would become that guy. And I think people have extrapolated on Karl-Anthony Towns that he would become that kind of guy. Um, but we haven't really actually gotten to the point where either of those guys is, you know, in that Kawhi, Draymond Green type conversation. And, you know, it's not to say that that Giannis is going to win Defensive Player of the Year this year, but I think he's, he's, you know, I think a lot of times it takes a year to sort of like establish yourself. And I think a year from now, you know, even though Giannis isn't, a lockdown guy in the same way one-on-one that Kawhi in the same way that Kawhi is um, he's probably more of a Draymond type in terms of the way he impacts the game defensively but um, you know I think a year from now I think we will be looking at Giannis as a guy who who is a an all-defensive first-team type guy I mean I think he's going to get a lot of votes this year Jason Terry famously sort of demanded that he become a first-team all-defense guy this this season <laughs> among um, other things among other Coming things. So,
1: theory, that's so funny.
0: <laughs> so I think, um, I, I think it's been kind of interesting. It's sort of like he threw down the gauntlet and now Giannis is, is living up to it. And so I, I think that that true sort of two-way impact is is kind of the biggest differentiator for him. And, you know, obviously I think he still has, has upside with his jump shot, which has been, I think he's been around 36, 37% from three since the start of December. And, and obviously if that, that kind of number continues and that, that just makes him that much more dangerous offensively, and he's, I think he's like in the last, Dozen games, you know, he's averaging only like, you know, two turnovers or less per game or something like that. So he's he's cleaning up, you know, some of the few areas that that you know weren't already um you know strengths of his, and and obviously it's it's just exciting. So so yeah, we're good, we're good with honest We're gonna roll with honest
1: I think I'm, I'm I'm close to being with you guys and on the verge of being definitely with you guys. Like I, I think it's that's why I think the question is worth asking. Like. Because I think you could say it. it's crazier to not say Giannis. And I think you could say it's crazier to say Giannis. But it's it's different when you zoom out to 10 years than if you would say the next five. Because if it's five years, then you're talking about including guys like LeBron, KD, Steph, Westbrook, Harden. Right. Um, but if you zoom out to 10, then it's potentially like some of those guys could be out of the league for two of those years because they're retired by then. So, you know. You know what does what does that look like? What does 38 year old LeBron look like compared to 31 year old Giannis or whatever it is? Like, who knows? And it's it, it becomes a much different bet when you zoom out to 10 years. It's such a short list of guys that you could even put in the conversation with him. You know the the two guys you mentioned, uh, Towns and Anthony Davis. Like, some guys might throw in like KP or Embiid. I don't know Not if sure. I would put them on that level yet. Like, I think that the, the other three are sort of a cut above. But, you know, just just to your point, like, to, to, to working in Giannis' favor, like, Davis has the injury concerns. He's been hurt every single year. He hasn't reached that level defensively yet. And you look at Towns this year, like, I, I still think Towns is on certainly that track. But he has struggled with the adjustment to the more rigid, to put it lightly, uh Tom Thibodeau defensive system and like maybe it takes him a couple years to get into that upper echelon of defenders Giannis I think is already there like you said um, It's sort of a Draymond style defense where it's a lot of the impact is hidden But he also has those monster numbers with the two steals and two blocks per game And right. to do it while also being a primary scorer and ball handler It's just such a crazy mix of skills that nobody really has, because e- even AD and Towns aren't primary ball handlers, which is a skill that, you know, if you're going to build around a guy, that's a very desirable skill to have.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's something that kind of coming into the season, I thought was interesting, because, you know, we've heard so much, really, uh, you know, up until the last couple of years... You know, where we had this explosion of these young big guys, including Porzingis and Embiid um, and and Townsend Davis, you know, a lot of the narrative was around the big man is dying, blah, blah, blah. And and obviously part of what makes these guys so special is that they can shoot, right? And they're kind of bringing the the, the shooting uh, ability that obviously has become so in vogue to a position where normally it hasn't existed, Um but I think, you know, what you mentioned, you mentioned it earlier around Chris Depps, now you build around him, and it's the same with all these other guys. You know, you need a primary facilitator. You need a guy who can get him the ball in in spots. And, you know, you can't just sign Matthew Dalvadova for $9 million a year and and tell him to go spot up and, you know, hit three-pointers or, you know, something similar with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, for a team like the Bucks, I mean, it would be a waste of cap resources, basically, to go get, you know, even a Jeff T guy or or some point guard, you're paying $20 million a year. You're better off spending that money elsewhere because the requirements of your point guard are just so much lower. Um, you're basically just defend, hit threes and, you know, run a little bit of pick and roll or whatever. So, um, so it is interesting and it does differentiate Giannis, even, even though he's, he's about as tall as those guys. Um, he obviously, you know, has the profile of a, a very different type of player and, um, you know, we're seeing him, operate from the post more and and try to work mismatches more but you know offensively because of his ball handling he does still play more like a perimeter player even if defensively he he's kind of doing a lot more kind of big man stuff and you know i mean i I would call him a power forward you know defensively at this point jabari is really more the the small forward um but offensively it's like you know when and eric and i have always debated (laughs) eric and i have had have debates over whether or not to call him a point guard or not oh yeah I'm I've always been a point forward guy. Eric's Eric's made the case for point guard. Yeah, who who cares? He's he's <laughs> he's something. He's point Giannis. Um, yeah. and um, and I and I think he's just been you know obviously been a really fun guy to watch, and um certainly the fact that you know he can bring the ball up you know late in games and um you know. He, he's always going to be around the ball and and you know he doesn't need really other guys to create for him in, in the same way um i think that does help him and and obviously a lot of the a lot of the great superstars you know who've led teams to championships you know you've had certainly the duncans and and the Akeems and the shacks but um but obviously you've had a lot of great wings who um who've who've done it on both ends and 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 obviously can can do many things and impact the games in a lot of ways and now the Bucks have one like that who's, you know, 6'11". So we'll see if the championship's ever come. I mean, I think Bucks fans are still a long ways from counting on that. That's still pretty abstract, but um, but certainly they have, you know, a pretty incredible piece to start with.
1: Yeah, on your uh, position argument, I called LeBron in the finals a couple of years ago the point power shooting center. <laughs> I,
2: feel
1: like that, I feel like that might work for Giannis too. Um, it's, um, you know, and... The thing you mentioned about, you know, the kind of point guards it opens up for you, you know, it basically turns your point guard into your 3 and D guy. And that's a a skill set that so many teams are looking for on the wing. And to be able to look for it at a different position, it it does a lot for your cap because 3 and D point guards don't get paid as much as 3 and D wings at this point, you know, Um, because it's, it's not a position archetype that is as much in demand. So that, I think, helps the bucks in that sense too. And I think that it's big for the Knicks that KP has developed at least some ability to create for himself off the dribble. If he takes, I mean, it would be the most ridiculous thing that ever happened in the world. Like if he took a, a Giannis style ball handling leap, like I wouldn't, I don't even know what that would be able to look like. That'd be awesome. But if <laughs> it if could just, if he does it more consistently, then that's something that that sort of opens up for them potentially too. Like obviously Giannis is is at a different level than I think KP could ever reach in terms of ball handling just cuz he's, you know, naturally even before this was a wing player so he's going to have the ball to create more off the dribble to begin with. But, you know, it's it's definitely a skill you need from your best guy. And if they're that big, it again, it it creates a lot of new avenues for you. Um yeah, so let, let's talk about this actual game, which we will see Giannis and and maybe but probably won't see Chris in.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, we've been talking a lot over the past month about, you know, me- measuring stick games. And it seems like every, every game against an East team is so critical because, <laughs> um, you know, there's so many teams that are kind of, you know, packed in, in that middle of the east that the Bucks are, are trying to, to get separation from and obviously the Knicks are, are one of those teams and you know, we've Bucks have played what, four or five kind of home and homes over the last month, which has been just odd, but um, but that's kind of made it all the more um, kind of poignant because it's come against the Bulls, the Cavs, the Wizards, um, you know, these teams that, that they are kind of going head-to-head with, uh, maybe not the Cavs, but um, but some of these other teams that, that they're obviously jostling with for playoff positioning. So um, I, I definitely this is a huge kind of back-to-back, or, or not back-to-back, but home-and-home for for the Bucks. And um, I think obviously, not for Knicks fans conveniently, but certainly for the Bucks if if they can catch them. You know, with Melo having a, a sore knee and and Kristaps perhaps not playing at all. Um, obviously, that's a huge advantage, and Bucks have played well. But by the same token, um, you know they've they've often sort of played to the level of their competition, and um, certainly Giannis has played his best seemingly against the best players that he's come across, and he's had some good battles with Carmelo dating back to his rookie year. So you hope that 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 will kind of get him up for the challenge and also having a nationally televised game on Friday, you, you certainly hope that that will uh, lead Giannis to once again, kind of come through with, with a big night and Jabari has also had some good games there. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, my, my view always, I, I the first thing I always look at when I think of how a team is going to, um, is going to play the box is I, I look at how well do they shoot three pointers and how well do they defend in transition? Um, so g- give me your scouting report on the Knicks. Knowing what you know about the Bucks, that they want to run, um, and that they will give up open threes if you work the ball around, how do you assess their odds?
1: Yeah, the Knicks are a horrible transition defense team, uh, just like they are at all other aspects of defense. <laughs> <laughs> like like, if, if they get guys in straight-up one-on-one situations and nobody overhelps, they've done pretty good. Once they start bringing help, they're really bad at helping the helper and they don't get back in transition and they're not a very good rebounding team. So basically everything other than straight up one on one defense, you can do pretty well against the Knicks. Um, On the other side, it's sort of fluctuated game to game, whether the ball moves for them or not. Um, They have been pretty good shooting the three for most of the year, even with Carmelo struggling uh, with his shot for the most part. Courtney Lee has shot well. Holiday has shot well. Uh, Chris Apps has shot 40% from three for the season. Uh, even during December, when he struggled with his shot from other areas, he was 40% from three there also. Um, and then some other guys have had like occasional games where they've gone off. Like Kuzminskis has had games where he's hit two or three threes when he got when he gets in the lineup. Jennings has had games where he's randomly hit a bunch of threes. So they don't have a lot of guys that shoot. But they are guys that do have been, you know, pretty good at it, especially Lee Holiday and Porzingis. But they probably will not have Porzingis for either one or both of the games. So that's that's going to be a challenge for them, especially um, if Carmelo shoots like he has been lately, which has just been, you know, not very good at all. Um, so I would say not great in those areas but there's always the potential for like Rose to really get going toward the basket which is tough to deal with or Carmelo's you know wonderable jumpers to be falling which basically no matter who you stick on him if they happen to be falling like they're just gonna fall like there's almost nothing you can do about it
0: yeah and I imagine defensively you know, looking at it if if Porzingis was playing, I think you'd probably see Giannis on on Kristaps, just because um Giannis I think generally has been a much better option like um, when the Cavs played with Channing Fry at center, the Bucks eventually went to Giannis at center in some of those lineups just because he can show and recover on pick and rolls against dangerous shooters like Fry so well. Um I think with Lance Thomas and Carmelo, I, who I assume I think they started the last game correct together with without Chris Stapps, is that right? Yep, that's right. Yeah. So I think in that scenario, I mean I would guess Again, in in the the view of of hiding Jabari on the ball, <laughs> I, I think you'd throw Jabari at, at Carmelo. Um, even if Giannis is, you know, again, kind of a, a better, you know, one on one matchup um, and then put Giannis on, on Lance Thomas, who obviously is, is going to be off the ball more and, um, you know, presumably spending more time on the weak side and, and you know, let Giannis kind of do do his thing freelance as he will. Um, and, and so it'll be interesting to see. But, um, yeah, I, I know I think last year there were some weird matchups. because I think Jabari and, and Chris Tapps actually matched up number of times which you know is especially an interesting kind of matchup given um jabari is you know whatever giving up seven inches but um ha- has has probably uh, weighs about the same as as chris taps right. or more
1: it's interesting too that with the Giannis lance matchup like last year that was someone that you know if you left him on the perimeter he was going to make you pay he hit like 40 percent of his threes for a lot of the season i think he wound up uh like 37 because he was hurt for a while and then shut it down for the year this year, he really hasn't shot well at all. And if you want to freelance off of him, like, go right ahead. That's going to work out pretty well for you. Um, it's, it's interesting, too, because on the other end, I would imagine Lance will guard Giannis also because you just can't put Carmelo on him. Um, but the, the thing that's killed the Knicks this year the most has been point guards that attack. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if it's, you know, a point wing guy does the same sort of thing to them. Because, you know, obviously a, a Del Adoba or even a Brogdon isn't as much of a challenge for Rose or Jennings to guard as a guy like, you know, Kyle Lowry or John Wall or Harden or Westbrook.
2: Yeah, it's those those guys won't be won't be a threat and Deli might not even play. Um, uh, I know the other night we were trying to get more out of out of Kidd on his uh, on his injury. But, well, getting anything out of Jason Kidd isn't really uh the best strategy because that's just not gonna work (laughs) correct um so delhi's day-to-day so delhi might not play um in that one so but yeah the the a point guard penetration is, is not going to be a problem against the milwaukee bucks uh I think Brogdon's shown a little bit more off the bounce than uh, certainly than I expected. I don't know if it's the same for you, Frank, but it, it's it's been better than I thought he could. He's gotten to the basket a little bit easier, but yeah, it's it's mostly going to be Giannis and Jabari doing the creating.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Brogdon he's he's got that nice little hesitation dribble, and maybe at this point teams have kind of been sleeping on him a bit as well. I mean, he uh, he yammed on on Kyrie and LeBron in that one game. Um, out of half court sets where I think they just kind of didn't realize what he was capable of and didn't realize he's kind of maybe a little sneakier, more sneaky athletic than, than maybe people thought. But certainly Delvadova is no threat to to attack off the dribble. And um, we had our debate the other night about whether Delhi should continue starting when he's healthy. And um, I, I will continue to expect that that Brogdon kind of keeps that job probably, especially with a, a hamstring that, you know, they can maybe argue it's a game you kind of, or an injury, you come back a little slowly from, but um, but I think that'll be interesting to see. Another thing I think will be interesting to see is is how these teams start. Um, I'm not sure what the what the Knicks have, how they've t- 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 tended to start, but um, the Bucks starters, especially with John Henson, have had a knack for slow starts. And even with Brogdon coming in and you know winning a few games of late, they've started very slowly the last three games two of which they've won Um, they had pretty bad starts so it'll be interesting to see if they can um, try to get something going a little bit differently um, a lot of times, either Giannis or Jabari will come out very early in the game, early in the first quarter. Um, we've seen a lot of early Greg Monroe as well. Monroe works really well with with and They've had some great time, uh, you know results in the second unit. So um, Bucks are a team that has definitely been been winning in large part thanks to not just Giannis but also the depth. Pretty much any any lineup with Giannis and and their their second unit guys is like. You know his two-man lineups with second-unit guys are like all like plus 15 to 18. <laughs> even even Jason yeah. Terry is like plus 15 or something with Giannis this year. So um, so I think we'll be interested to see if the Knicks can maybe take advantage of that early and then do the Bucs once again have to kind of come from behind and try to use that athleticism to you know eventually kind of wear wear a team down and, and maybe overwhelm them a little bit like they have with um, you know teams like the Bulls and maybe not the Thunder so much but certainly the Bulls and the Pistons they did that last week.
1: Yeah, the, uh, the Knicks have been, you know, much like their season overall, schizophrenic in first quarters. Like, early in the season when they were over five hundred, they trailed by 10 in the first, quor- first quarter a ton. Like, I remember early in the season, you know, watching uh, post-game shows with with Alan Hahn and Wally Zerbiak, and they'd be like, yeah, you know, the Knicks, they trailed by 10 in the first quarter again, but they wound up coming back and they won. And it, was, it, was, it, seemed, it seemed like it was something that was happening almost every night. Um, lately it's been, you know, they've been terrific out of the gate or horrible out of the gate. Uh, the last four or five games or so has been mostly really bad and that's, you know, kept on going through the, uh, the rest of the game. But, you know, you never know when they're just going to suddenly pull out a good first quarter. You know, it's, it, there's no rhyme or reason to it based on matchups or anything or how well they've been playing or haven't been playing. It just kind of happens when it happens, so it'll be interesting to watch out for that for sure. And well, uh, Rodden, he, uh I grew to hate him when he was at Virginia because he would always play well against Miami, and um, he's playing well now. I'm not surprised by that really at all.
0: Yeah, I think, I think the biggest surprise for us was he, his jump shot, which I mean, he was a good shooter in college, but his release is kind of wonky and not really something that looks good off the dribble in particular. And he struggled really mightily in Vegas and in the preseason. And, uh, I guess he was just keeping a lot in reserve because he's shooting, I think around 44% from three on, on a decent volume so far as a rookie. So, um, he, he is the, I, I would argue at this point, he's probably the, uh, granted everyone is a distant second behind Joel Embiid in the rookie of the year race, but he, he might (laughs) actually be the, 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 in running in second place in rookie of the year, which probably is more a testament to how bad the rookie crop is this year. But, um, certainly from a 36 overall pick, um, he's been, you know, nothing but a positive and, um, we'll see, I I guess we'll either see fireworks in the first quarter or or maybe we'll see like an 11 to nine score or something like that from these teams. (laughs) But, um, I guess we'll see. But anyway, Jared, thanks so much. This has been really fun. I feel like, I'm, I'm a smarter consumer of Knicks basketball now um, and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, a couple of games that are important for both teams.
1: Yeah, me too. And I, I certainly share your feeling in terms of my consumption of the Bucks.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right, well... Thanks so much. I guess we th- th- these have been a couple of long has been a long episode for uh, for a lockdown, but um, that just happens. We we drag these out. I don't know how you, how you are with with yours typically, but it's it's our curse. Uh, Eric and I just make everything really long. So anyway, thanks for your patience. Um, hope uh, hope everybody enjoying both uh, Bucks and Knicks fans enjoyed it, and um, we'll talk to you guys all soon.